Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome, welcome. Well, today we're going to take the conversation in a slightly different direction. We're going to start our campfire conversation today talking about Silicon Valley, California in the San Francisco Bay Area. It is the global center of high tech and innovation, venture capital, and its headquarters to many Fortune 500 companies and startup businesses. When most of us think of Silicon Valley, we think of companies like Facebook, Apple, Tesla, just to name a few. We think of big money and big risks. We think of expensive homes, fast cars, and huge incomes. For many high-achieving business people, Silicon Valley represents a place where risk and reward can pay off to the highest possible levels of so-called success. Or so we thought. Our guest today is Toby Tobkin. Toby has a fascinating story to tell us about his call to success in Silicon Valley and what unfolded for him in the years he spent working there in the world of startups. Interestingly, after putting his time in, Toby was called back to the wilderness. He and I actually met at a Knowles Outdoor Leadership Education class. And uh, for Toby, Silicon Valley was not all it was cracked up to be, and nature has called him back. So I can't wait for him to share his story with you. Toby, I want to welcome you to the campfire. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Toby, so um, let's just jump right in. Can you kind of just give us an overview of of, uh, of Silicon Valley and, and what you were doing there? Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, perhaps it ties in well for your audience because, you know, interestingly, one of the things that made me um, end up staying in Silicon Valley was the natural amenities there. Um, you know, I think, uh, as you said in your intro, I think a lot of people think about Silicon Valley in terms of its business culture. Um, and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, the major economic events that have happened there in past 50 years of our history or so. Um, but uh, in fact, it's, um, you know, one of the best outdoor meccas uh, in the United States. Um, and it's got some of the most um, unique landscapes uh, and ecological features um, you know, in, you know, in the country or arguably even in the world, people really come there from yeah. everywhere to, to visit, to hike, to, to camp, to mountain bike. I went over there first, um, in a pretty, I would say pretty typical story, but a pretty atypical for an American story, which is, you know, I was an economic migrant, you know, I, uh, grew up in central Florida and in the, you know, 1990s, 2000s. Um, I graduated university in um, 2013. Okay. And, you know, at the time I had been, um, you know, I had recently graduated, gotten my first job as a software engineer. And, you know, I was able to hold down uh, a mighty pay rate of $15 per hour. Uh, this was the best job I could find in Orlando. Nice. Um, at the time, um, for people that were perhaps more skilled, um, more naturally talented than me, uh, or harder working, um, you know, many of them found better things. But for my particular situation, that's what I found. And of course, this is maybe not um, quite enough to get yourself 
into uh, the middle class of America. Eventually, an opportunity crossed my my path. I was at my university um, in grad school, and um, you know, a um, uh, a VP from a a network engineering company um, called a Swedish network engineering company named Ericsson uh, came by and said, "Hey, you know, we looked at your project, and uh, you know, you're you're working on exactly the type of stuff that you know we need done over here. Um, you know, would you like to come over and uh, in you know work in the valley for? Uh, you know, he offered me some like six figure salary for like an internship, and I was like, well, so, you know, of course, that's amazing." So, yeah, I'm like, uh, I don't know. I, I don't really know what this is. I've never, you know, he, he told me it was in San Jose, California. And um, quite frankly, like I, I was kind of um, uh, not a very wor worldly person um, yeah. growing up. And, and so I had actually not really even looked at ever looked at a picture of California or really what was in it. Um, so I kind of just said, I just told him yes um, and, and took his interview and then walked into my job in Florida and just quit uh, the next day. Uh, my boss was incredibly pissed off <laughs> and, um, uh, and, and drove, uh, drove cross country to, um, uh, to start my career in the Valley. There's a hero's journey right there, driving across country. This, this country is a beautiful place. You probably saw a lot of beautiful scenery on that drive itself. I think, yeah, at the time, I'd never done anything ambitious travel-wise. Um, and <clears throat> so, you know, taking this cross-country trip when I was like, whatever, 20 or something, this was, this was, it was probably the most exciting thing I'd done in my life to, to, to that time. You know, I, I think that actually um, on that trip was like the, the first time that I saw that there was a lot to be gained from... Um, you know, exploring what we've got um, outdoors or even just kind of exploring in general. I think that uh, anywhere you go in the world, um, you know, you visit, right? Like you learn about culture, you learn about, yeah. about like how people live. Um, yeah. It's all very kind of directly tied to the geographies they live in and the environment they live in. Um, and so, you know, traveling through these crazy places like the Mojave Desert and, uh, you know, going through... Um, you know, I'd never been to Las Vegas before, but I went there, you know, met a bunch of people there. And, um, then finally, of course, like living in California, it's very, very different from Florida. Um, you know, I, I think it, um, it kind of opened my mind to, to see that, I, yeah. you know, there was a lot more out there. I can fully relate Toby. Um, when I, when I first graduated from college, the first thing I did before starting my work career was my wife and I, um, did a cross country trip across United States. We started in Pennsylvania and went all the way across to, to Seattle and then down the Pacific coast highway and then meandered back. And I, I mean, that, that trip was what kind of sparked my, my love for the wilderness and just being outside, outside in the exploration. So completely relate. Um, you mentioned the word economic or the phrase economic migrant. Can you explain what that means? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, so, you know, if I think that if you really look at I, I guess like the way that I would relate it the most, um, in, you know, here in the United States is uh, I think that a lot of people grew up and say, um, hey, you know, I'm going to make it by, you know, moving to New York City and mm -hmm. landing my big job. Um, and um, I actually think there's a lot of truth in that. And I, I think that the, the statistics around, you know, quote unquote, making it mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, uh, you know, gaining access to 
um, you know, work and pay that is, that is higher up on, um, you know, whatever our American version of the class system is like that, that's kind of true. You can physically relocate and those, those opportunities, yeah. um, become much more accessible, not saying it's easy, but yeah. you know, that, that's kind of the, that's kind of the nature of immigration. It's kind of, it, it has some challenges, you know, uh, that was kind of the motivating factor for me. I think that if, if there wasn't, if there wasn't like an underlying pain, Right, um, you know, I'm just like any other animal um, organism that was that was born any time in the history of life. Um, right. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I move if there's pain or anxiety, and and you know, at fifteen dollars an hour and lots of rising rents and such, um, uh, and seeing a very long future ahead of me, uh, you know, that that created some some pain and anxiety to go. Um, uh, go and seek some better opportunities. Most people in the Valley, um, the vast majority, um, at least that I work with are, are international. So actually people from around the world really, uh, I would say, especially like um, you go to a place like, like India or China, um, many people really um, aspire to uh, be able to immigrate to the Valley where they can get the highest pay in the world. They can, you know, you know, they can advance their, their careers in ways they can't in, you know, their own countries. Um, they can live in America, which, you know, to, um, you know, to, to many people really kind of represents like the, you know, the forefront of the world. Um, you know, people may have their own opinions on this, especially depending right. on, you know, what country you're in or what your politics are. But, you know, there is definitely a, a subset of people that, that see things that way. Sure. Um, so I'm kind of, you know, one of these people in this category that, you know, just like, you know, a lot of foreigners, um, I was, um, you know, willing to kind of pick up my life and go. It's not as common with Americans because, you know, the gap in what you, what you have or have not is, is not as large as if you're coming from, you know, someplace like, like India, right. Sure. Um, where, um, if you are, uh, at least at the time that, you know, I, I moved to Silicon Valley, if you are one an extremely good software engineer, absolutely brilliant, everybody wants you. You could go and make a really great living wage of ten or fifteen thousand dollars per year, um, and um, you know. And so, you know, there's there's obviously a lot more incentive there than right. um, if you are making, you know, comfortably forty thousand dollars per year in Orlando at the time I was there. Um, you know. Your life was is actually at the time, say in 2013, 40 grand a year would be a very comfortable life in Orlando, yeah. and not anymore. But uh, <laughs> this is uh, this is the that was the case then. Yeah, no, I mean that's amazing. Okay, so you're you're an economic migrant, um, like many others in Silicon Valley, and it sounds like those who go to Silicon Valley are essentially seeking opportunity, um, and specifically financial opportunity. Um, so you got there. So what happened when you got there? Um, yeah, I mean, when I got there, um, you know, I think that ties in well with our conversation, which is that the, interestingly, the thing that kind of kept me there wasn't the work. Like I, I actually kind of found life in the Valley to be, uh, and, and work in the Valley to be a bit, um, dull at first. Um, okay. I, I, I didn't really have access to maybe like the most exciting jobs in the Valley because I mean, they were better than the jobs I had in Florida, but you know. I'm not like, um, uh, you know, I wasn't like one of the uh, the highest achievers, like top of the pile type resumes um, out there for software engineers. 
you know, what really kind of captivated me was like the, the Northern California climate, which was very different from Florida. Um, mountains were really exciting to me. Like I grew up in Florida and until the day I set foot, really, in, I wouldn't say until I set foot in Silicon Valley, but until I took a road trip across the U.S., yeah. I'd never seen a mountain before. Yeah. You know, this was just much more fun terrain to play on. You know, I, I'd never really gotten to... <clears throat> um experience like the redwood forests or like the the really crazy sweeping ocean views or really just overall get to kind of take in like what kind of you know moment and presence um you know that type of of beautiful environment can put you in so you know it really gave me kind of a set of a of emotions and um and how should i say uh mindfulness that mm -hmm. I hadn't really ever experienced it in Florida where you're not to say it doesn't exist, but um, I think it's mostly for like water going people. Yeah. Uh, we have really excellent um, outdoor activities if you're into fishing or diving and things, but um, I'm very terrestrial. Uh, yeah. So I, uh, I hadn't experienced too much of that. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, um, uh, it, it's really great. And I think it's, um, I think it's one of the things that people overlook, even people that I, uh, most people I knew that lived in the Valley five, 10 years, most of them had not really even explored kind of like, um, the most even popular things, um, in terms of outdoor activities in the city itself. Um, you know, the popular day hikes, um, you know, some of the, the really world-class redwood forests that yeah. are, just literally in like in the metro area like that you don't have to leave the city they're just there um you know they've just never been yeah um yeah, because it's just not it's actually not what's on the mind of the people in silicon valley like most people in the valley are not outdoors enthusiasts right so it's just um, a function of of basically working too much and not not kind of paying attention to what's going on around in terms of the landscape um well i think a few things actually kind of layer on top so Actually, a major factor that I never really thought of before is that, you know, having very well preserved land for the public to use is a, you know, it is, it, it is, a, is a privilege and in a lot of ways, oftentimes a rare privilege um, for, for societies to have. And, you know, I think a lot of people or I should say most people um, that I, I worked with were, were immigrants from India. And, you know, I definitely don't want to speak on behalf of all of India, but, you know, I have worked in India, India and I had been there and like I, I worked there in the 2010s. And, you know, the concept of, of having the level of access to, to high quality, um, you know, uh, uh, outdoor recreation mm -hmm. um, doesn't, quite exist in a lot of the country in the same way um, because it, it takes a, it takes a lot of organization it takes yeah. a lot of funding it takes you know a lot of social cohesion mm -hmm. to to preserve the environment and then on top of that to go and um, you know make the environment accessible to everybody publicly in a way that um, that is sane um, you know outdoor um, outdoor land management is you know, quite frankly, it's 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 preciously rare uh, to get right. So what what I'm hearing you say is we are incredibly fortunate in the United States to have the resources that we have to be able to get outside. 
yeah, and certainly I, I definitely feel you know the need to call this out, especially as say our national parks are not getting enough funding. It's like mm -hmm. the reason why we have these um, you know these amazing gifts are kind of just quirks of our recent history that like there were like random people like John Muir that yeah. um, were crazy enough to get the attention of our U.S. presidents and persuade them to come look at the parks and and, and protect them. Um, and, um, you know, I think that, you know, even if you just compare the histories of the U S East coast versus the West coast, you know, you know, that history went very different ways, right? Like, um, much more was preserved in the West coast, um, than, than in the East. And, and if you live in the Western United States, you have far more access to, yeah. um, to outdoorsmanship than you do if you're anywhere in the East. Yeah, we're we're really lucky. The national park system here is just amazing. It's it's one of my family's kind of loose goals to try to hit all of them. We've we've hit a number of them. We've got a long way to go, but I mean, each one is so unique. Um, but let's let's go back to Silicon Valley. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about work life there? What 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 was that? How how was that? I think it's a really interesting topic to ask right now because for the first time in my life, and, and I would say actually maybe this is the most dramatic change that's happened um, anytime in, in Silicon Valley's post-World War II history, is that, you know, what work life was, was like then and what it is now is completely different. I, I think that as, and I think my experience really does reflect um, a lot of engineers who choose to stay very attached to the Valley, mm -hmm. uh, which is that there is simply no place that will be as culturally cohesive for um you know accomplishing high-end engineering tasks than silicon valley i would say like like essentially pre-covid this was for the most part the best place in the world to you know uh, to go in and do something productive um in the world of either software or artificial intelligence as far as software and artificial intelligence goes, like Silicon Valley is the place you can show up any coffee shop you go to, somebody is going to be working on something technical and you could literally talk to any random person on the street and find a solution to the problem you can't solve. Like, you know, why, like, you know, why can't I get access to, you know, some, you know, some special front end framework that uh, you know, will allow me to build better software than is on the market today, or, you know, find some kind of artificial intelligence expert that can, you know, help you figure out why your implementation of a recent academic paper doesn't work. Um, like, there's no other place in the country where you yeah. can like, walk outside and find people with that kind of expertise that you know, it is, it is really um, only like somewhere between like zero and two steps removed from original research and, and innovation. Yeah. Um, and, and I would even say that, you know, a lot of times, even the industrial activities people are, are partaking in in Silicon Valley um, are indeed, um, you know, original research. I, I think that one very obvious example right now is, is Tesla, right? Like, you know, think a lot of things that uh, have have occurred. You know, in the past ten years with Tesla have been kind of world first. Like they mm -hmm. kind of they they kickstarted. Mm -hmm. You know, say the electric car industry. Like, I mean, China's ahead of us now in the electric car industry. But the fact is, is it, like it started here, it catalyzed mm -hmm. here, and it was 
I mean, essentially because like, like people have people in the Valley have the hubris to say that, Hey, we've done all this research. Like, why can't we just apply it and make it real? Like if we just inject enough money, why won't it work? Right. right? And like, this is, this is kind of like, um, uh, this is the famed arrogance of Silicon Valley, um, for better or for worse in this yeah. case, I think better, but you know, I would give merit to, to both sides. Yeah. yeah, it makes sense. I mean, and you know, the COVID piece aside, um, frankly, the description that you gave, I mean, it sounds like a pretty cool, pretty vibrant place. A lot of really smart people, a lot of great interaction and synergy. Um, I got to ask though, like, is, is there a dark side? A dark side of the Valley? I mean, yeah, um, definitely. Largely the problems fall into a few buckets that I think scare people like me off like the top one by far is is um housing shortage so there's simply not a large enough supply of, of housing in california um it's i think a little bit byzantine to try to you know inspect all the reasons why this is um but you know we'll say that obviously this is an artificial shortage because we've been building houses for years and we know how to do it. So there's some kind of societal factor keeping us from building housing, not necessarily like a lack of lumber or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, a second large issue is, um, it's, uh, environmental. Um, so California, um, you know, I think that California has, has kind of suffered on on two fronts here. One is that um, you know they are first of all one of the most susceptible states to environmental change, and um, there's a lot of environmental change happening in the world that, I mean, California itself did not cause, but right. they are nonetheless the recipients of. Right. Um, and I, I I I do really you know feel for the state for this. On the flip side, there are also environmental issues that are domestic to the state for which um, there have not really been any real response to. Mm -hmm. um, so I would, you know, I would particularly call out, um, you know, freshwater usage. So, you know, the state continues to have more and more dire droughts each year. And there's not, there's not really been a long-term proposal advanced by, um, um, by either the federal or state government yet. Um, I'm not a government expert, so I, I don't want to sure. kind of put blame on like on, you know, whose you know, who's fault this is necessarily. But, you know, what I will say is that there just there hasn't been a plan implemented um, yet. Right. Inevitably, I think it, it must it must eventually happen because this problem will get more dire over time, you know, and, and also uh, forest fires. Right. So right. Um, forest fires, this is another thing that is kind of manageable. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I remember like I, there's there could be 10 plus days a year you're in you're in the valley and it's not safe to go outside your house because mm -hmm. the air is too toxic. You know, I think that that was it. it it's very kind of um, strange to simultaneously be in. Um, almost like one of like the top three wealthiest places in the entire world. Right. And then, you know, oftentimes being confronted with um, some of the same environmental and, and health issues that you really see faced by um, countries with 
that are that are much poorer, have much less governmental organization, much less developed. You know, maybe they're war torn or, or like have recently been or, or very recently been, um, you know, unimperialized. Um, and um, and, you know, that's that's actually kind of, you know, the, the type of state that uh, I think a lot of Californians are experiencing their their lives in. Right. And, and I kind of I say that in a very kind of compassionate way that, right. you know, Many, many Californians um, are are experiencing, um, you know, some of the pains of what, uh, you know, uh, what I'm describing. You know, th- this is probably the the single most pressing. I mean, these are probably the single most pressing issues in their lives. Yeah. It, it's stating the obvious. I know that while you were there, you were working really intense hours, and I'm sure that that played a, a factor in in uh, you know taking a sabbatical, taking a year off, coming back this way. But, you know, ultimately um, you put your time in and you did decide to come back east. And, and interestingly enough, you and I meet at a wilderness first aid, wilderness first responder class. And so there was something about nature, something about the wild that called you back this way. Uh, I'm just curious about that. Yeah. I mean, I think it, um, it ties into the first story I told, which is, you know, uh, I think that um, I really kind of got a taste of adventure from my economic migration. Yeah. Um, and actually many of the, I think that many of the people that now I'm friends with and, and I travel with and do things like backpacking trips with, um, are also economic migrants that got that bug. Um, you know, one of my friends that kind of comes with me everywhere, he's from Chennai, India, and, you know, he really started traveling when he had to come to the U S which is quite a trip. I, I have been to to both places. I can tell you that India and the U.S. are very, very different places. Yeah, I think that that kind of same um, itch to scratch that there's there's always something new to experience. There's a new part of of yeah. the world to connect with. Toby, what is that? You said it, you called it a bug, and you called it an itch to scratch. What what is that? What is that bug? You know, I think that as I'm just kind of like a lot of humans, like throughout history, we've always kind of had this itch to explore and to understand the the nature of the world that we are born into. Um, and, um, you know, I think it's one of the most fundamental satisfactions you can get to mm-hmm. explore and experience the world. Well said. Yeah. Well I mean, why not, why not just, uh, why not spend a, a substantial part of my life doing that? I think a lot of people feel the same way as me. I would totally um, you know, that, agree. That are also travelers. Yeah, I mean, well said. It's a fundamental human um, thing to want to explore and and get out in nature. You just said it. I mean, I, I think that's what it's all about. So I, I want to. So you've been to Silicon Valley. You've got the bug for nature. I want to ask you a question that um, you know I'm, I'm curious, like how these things tie together. Now that you've had that experience um and you're kind of moving into the next phase of life like how do you define success i think that success really depends on the uh, on the individual is is what i've really learned right like uh, especially having worked in a field where most people are from very different cultures than than mine um you know i think that there's not a clean answer for all people I think that it it really depends on your individual situation. If I think about 2013 me, um, right, where I was only making $15 an hour, my definition of success was in a lot of ways monetary. Um, 
And, you know, I, I wanted to make like, you know, be able to make like a hundred thousand dollars a year for the first time. Yeah. Um, and that's not my definition of success now, but I, I think that's still a definition of success for a lot of people. And I, I also wouldn't downplay it because your experience of life significantly changes. You get over that hump where you're not living paycheck to paycheck and you're, you know, you're building wealth in a stable way. Like generally like being able to achieve that, you know, significant, like that's one of the most significant things that will change the direction of like of your life and any family that you have. Yeah. Um, because all of a sudden you can kind of, um, it, you can, you can plan and act into the future with things like buying houses and paying for school and, you know, taking a break from work if you need it to work on your mental health. Like there's all these kind of things that are unlocked that, you know, are not privileges that you get by default in our society for better or for worse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I don't actually agree with, you know, all things in that system. That's magic. So success, your so success definition of success can change over time is what I'm hearing. What, what does success look like for you today? To maximize my experience. Um, you know, I think that I, I really kind of view it more as, you know, if I'm, if I live next hundred days in my life, what did I experience in those in those hundred days? And it was was the best thing I could experience. I think that that kind of comes down to a much more kind of balanced management of of one's own, or at least like my, my own portfolio of life. Like so, so money is a factor now, right? Um, but it's not everything, right? It's kind of like a way to maximize one's experience in terms of like you know mm. monetarily is like number one, like you know earn as much as you can, but also number two reduce your consumption as much as you can, right? Because like that's going to to make it go as far as possible. You have to worry as little as possible about it. Um, but then also things like, right, like like who's in your social circle? Like who do you interact with every day? Like do they do they fulfill you? Um, you know, I think that's that's a big question that I ask for myself. Like am I actually interacting with the people that, you know, uh, that make me feel more whole? Um, am I, am I having experiences that, um, you know, that, that make me feel, you know, satisfied with, um, my experience of life going outside, going on this backpacking trip I'm about to do tomorrow in, um, you know, Appalachian mountains, you know, also satisfaction of, you know, what was, um, you know, what was my contribution to society? Like for the people that I interacted with, did they also have their lives improved from, um you know from interacting with me like yeah. i think that you know maybe purely by the fact that i'm just neurotypical in most ways like um i do actually care that you know other people get along well you know uh, a big part of even say like what i'm thinking about doing in my career next um much more weight is I, i'm putting much more weight on is the work i'm doing having um, a positive impact on people that are like me Right. Very broadly speaking, rather than, um, you know, more, you know, more emphasis on like, will this advance my career as much as possible? Or is this the most prestigious or best looking, you know, job I can be doing? Yeah, it's a very evolved definition of success. I love it. I love how balanced it is. And I love how you use the word whole a couple of times. You talked about um, things that are meaningful that are going to make you feel whole. And I, I think that's a lot of what this is about. And now I can say for me personally, like part of the thing that I love about being in the wilderness is it makes me feel whole <laughs> when I'm out right. there. So um, I, I feel like I could talk to you for hours. Um, 
but uh, I want to just kind of take an opportunity just to get a little bit of advice. If there are people that are listening that are kind of split between, you know, that call for like financial achievement, financial success, but also, you know, also feel that deeper calling for just wilderness experience and getting out in the woods and just, you know, that kind of that feeling of wholeness that you just described, like what advice do you have for those people? I think that everybody's experience is, um, you know, is unique. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that if I were to project one, one of my experiences that I think is most likely to be the same as others, it would be that being disciplined about trying something new at a regular, um, regular cadence, right? Like trying a new activity or like mm -hmm. trying to push a boundary going and for me, for instance, like, like pushing one of my boundaries was going from like a day hiker to being a backpacker, yeah. right? Like I'm not an outdoorsy person, yeah. um, you know, uh, to, to begin with, this wasn't part of my upbringing. Finding different boundaries you can push that kind of make, make oneself a little bit nervous, um, but you're unsure of whether mm -hmm. or not it will, um, it will provide, um, you know, some return. A lot of things you try, you will hate, you know, I think that consistently doing this over time um, eventually builds a very large repertoire of, uh, of um, meaningful experiences that one can draw from. Um, there's, um, I, I would particularly cite um, a chapter of a book that describes this strategy in detail. Um, there's a book out there called Algorithms to Live By. Nice. Um, in the, I believe it's the first chapter, they've got a chapter called the Explore Exploit uh, Heuristic. Uh, actually, this is uh, most famously uh, the same type of heuristic that is uh, is used to achieve optimal happiness when, say, shopping for a New York City apartment, which <laughs> notoriously have like four hour turnover rates on the Oh market, man, yeah, right. Um, so you don't, you oftentimes don't really even get a chance to check them out before renting <laughs> them. Um, Explore exploits uh, describes that idea. Um, it is broadly applicable in, um, you know, helping, helping someone get an optimal outcome, um, for, for happiness, um, in a situation in which there's many kind of unknown, unexplored options, um, to oneself and, uh, you know, with a little bit of discipline, uh, you can, you can get some, um, some kind of like long-term satisfaction. Yeah. I love it. Algorithms to live by. That's definitely going on my Amazon wish list. Just to wrap things up, a couple of fun, um, quick questions. So you've had a lot of experience and, uh, I love your wisdom and I know they're going to make a movie about you in Hollywood. And when they tell that story, I'm curious who the actor is going to be, that's going to play you. I'm definitely, um, going to be a, how would you say, uh, a supporting character. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, the figures that I think are, are most exciting and, and you know, I, I, I say this genuinely as in like, uh, I'm not really trying, I'm not a person like trying to pursue something, uh, exciting in terms of, uh, uh or, or story worthy in terms of what I'm doing in my life. I'm trying to pursue like the best experience, um, you yeah. know, for myself, it's a very kind of personal experience. Yeah, I think I would be a supporting character in some show, maybe one called Silicon Valley or something. Silicon Valley, uh, a show called Silicon Valley, seen. okay. I, I'm kind of, if you see all the, if you've watched that show, Silicon Valley, like there's this kind of gang of characters that are, are very, 
uh, brainy and, and, and quirky in various ways, but they're very determined and kind of just push their own line through the economy of Silicon Valley and get to the very top. Probably wearing your backpack and heading out to the trail while everybody else is is working, right? <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it would it would be it'd be something like that. I, I think that, um, which is again, like you know, I would say that I don't I don't knock that way of of living. Like I think it's I think it's incredibly important we have right. an economic like a productive economic outlet for the most ambitious people in our society, and I think that we all benefit from that. I think that um, there's the the light like the kind of more unspoken life of like uh uh you know being a bit more low-key and uh you know being being a, a productive and impactful and, and contributing member of that economy um but not necessarily being um you know not necessarily like tr uh, trying to to be um the superstar of the economy you know i think that's maybe a less common story it's not quite uh it's not quite movie worthy, uh, but it may make for a compelling blog post somewhere. Oh, there you go. Well, I, I would watch your movie, Toby. And uh, I just, you've inspired me today. I really appreciate it. And uh, to everybody listening, I hope you've been inspired today as much as I have. I hope that Toby's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to your adventure because we want to hear your story next. And if you have a story to tell or you need a nudge to create one, I hope you'll please send me an email. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thanks for listening. And Toby, thank you so much for being here. I hope you have a blast on your backpacking trip this coming week. Oh, I think I definitely will. All right. <laughs>